I'd like to pray with you for a minute, if I could, as we look into God's word together. Let's, uh, let's bow together. So, Father, we're grateful for the opportunity now to look into your word. We've been singing such wonderful truths. The God who won't fail. The one who is the firm foundation. The one who loves us in ways that we can't even begin to put into words. The one who created it all and yet cares intimately about little old me and little old them. Thanks for that. And so as we look into your word now, we invite you to speak into our hearts in personal and intimate ways. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Jesus said more about money than any other topic except the kingdom of God. There's 30 recorded parables in the New Testament. 19 of the 30 parables have a sort of economic basis to the teaching in the parable. Why did he spend so much time on this subject? Well, because he created us and he knows that this is something many, many, many of us struggle with. So often when people will come to talk to me about whatever it is that might be troubling them or they're struggling with, so often at the root of it will be how they're handling money and finances. It's one of the things that married couples argue about probably more than anything else. It's right up there in the top two or three for sure. So we want to talk about God's biblical wisdom when it comes to money and giving. And so we're doing this series of three messages entitled Right on the Money. And it just comes from that expression. You know, that's right on the money. Right on the money. And we talked last week about the first in this series on stuff. And we said, everything belongs to God. It's not my money. It's not my resources. God has entrusted me with resources that he expects me to manage in a way that brings honor to him and a ton of joy to me. And when we do it God's way, it brings a ton of joy and it's a lot of fun. And it paves the way to having a generous spirit. And this is one of the things we talked about last week that tends to set Christianity apart. Voluntary, sacrificial, generous giving that's full of joy and lots of fun. And when you start to understand this stuff, it is a lot of fun. And we can give no matter how much we have or how, much, how little we might have. Because the scripture will always teach, it, it's not about equal giving in terms of amounts, it's about equal sacrifice. Not equal amounts of giving, but equal sacrifice. And so today we want to talk about some very practical, biblical wisdom from a God that offers us these things because he loves us and he wants what's best with, for us as we handle resources. And so what I've entitled this talk is 10 Financial Commandments 
for wise living. And I'm going to use some really old school language from the 1600s, the thou shalt's of the King James Version. And so 10 financial commitments or commandments rather for wise financial living. And the first one is this, thou shalt remember who the owner is. And we talked about this last week, so let me very quickly go through this. It says in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. Everything is God's. This woman was between flights in an airport, and so she went into one of the shops, and she bought a small package of cookies And she sat down in her seat and she started reading a book and she reached out to take one of her cookies. And as she was starting to munch on it, all of a sudden the man beside her reached over and helped himself to one of her cookies. Well, she didn't want to make a big scene of it. And so she just kind of leans over. I'm going to establish my territory. And she takes another one and he does it again. And they go back and forth. It was a small package of cookies until there was just one cookie left. And the man reached in, took the last cookie, broke it in half, gave half to her and ate the other half himself. By now, she is just fuming. But her flight gets called. And so she reaches into her purse for her ticket. And there sits her package of unopened, identical cookies that she forgot she put in her purse. See, how I deal with cookies depends a lot on whose cookies I think they are. Right? It says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Number two, thou shalt embrace thy work. Thou shalt embrace thy work. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 25 says, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master for God. Confident that he'll give you, that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keeping in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Do you ever get down on your knees and say, thank you, God, for the privilege and the opportunity to work, to contribute, to earn? That's an incredible gift. Some of the people that I've seen that are the most downcast are people that have lost their job. It's an incredible privilege. And so whether you're a stay-at-home parent, which is an incredibly important job, really important, or if you're working at a, at a 
as a business owner or you're earning a wage inside or outside your home, whatever the case is, this is a gift from God. And I understand that sometimes work is not always fun. Sometimes it's just boring. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's really stressful. But one of the great contributions of the word of God to our culture that has shaped our country is the historical Judeo-Christian work ethic, the biblical call to work. This is one of the reasons we are blessed as a nation. And as our culture increasingly moves away from the scriptural Judeo-Christian work ethic, we will continue to see an economic downturn. You move away from God's principles and you begin to reap the whirlwind. And so as Christ followers, we are called to work in God's strength for God's glory with a great attitude, great diligence, and a great work ethic. And the cool thing is, is there's just significant benefits that comes from this. And one of, I'll just pick one. There's just a healthy, healthy dignity that comes from doing your best, from working hard from a job well done where I've done my best. And even if I failed or whatever, I did my best. There's a healthy dignity that comes. Number three, thou shalt not fall into debt. Proverbs 22, verse seven, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower's servant to the lender. We live in a day where so many people are devastated by personal debt can't begin to live the kind of life God wants for them because of crushing personal debt. I understand it's different in the business world. It's a different situation. I'm not talking about personally when you say go out and have to buy a reasonably priced house. You're probably going to have to borrow some money for that. But personal debt for things that we don't need can cripple us and drive us to desperation. So for example, and I didn't work these numbers, somebody else gave me these numbers. If you put $7,500 on your credit card because you're just not satisfied with your iPhone 11 and you want the new Max iPhone 15 and you're just not satisfied with your 40-inch TV, you want a new 75-inch 4K TV and you only make minimum payments on that credit card of 150 bucks a month. And the interest rate, I'll be conservative, is 18%. You know how long it takes to pay that off? It takes 30 years, and it costs you $23,000. When we go into debt for things we don't need, it squeezes the freedom that God wants us to have to live, to enjoy life, and be an overly generous person, which is incredibly fun. And so debt should have a warning on it like cigarettes. This will be hazardous to your financial, emotional, and spiritual health. And again, I understand businesses are different. There's reasonable debt that needs to be incurred for you know, startup costs and expansion costs and cash flow and tax considerations. But personally, 
If you're in debt trouble, make the decision to say, it stops today. I'm going to ask for God's help. I'm going to pray for God's help. And I'm going to get on a plan to reverse that now. Seek wise Christian counselor. And a wise Christian counselor will say to you, continue to be a generous giver first. And then live within your means and have a plan to pay off that debt. When people come to me for premarital counseling, I I think of one couple a number of years ago. (coughs) And uh, they had some significant debt. And I was kind of, I was dead serious, but I was also joking around a bit. And I said, you know, would you like to, in 10 years, come up and just want to kiss my ring? And they're looking at me, and I said, here's what you do. You make a plan that in the next three years, you're going to pay off that debt. And then every month, you're going to pay your credit cards in full. If you do that, you will be so much further ahead than most people in 10 years that you'll want to kiss my ring. Sadly, they never did it. And they had huge problems in their marriage. Number four. Thou shalt teach thy children about money. You know, we want to, we're told we talk to them about sex, an important thing to do. Talk to them about the key things of life. But we often don't talk to them and teach them about how to handle money. Psalm 34, come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We all learn from our parents, right? And some of it's really good stuff and some of it's really not good stuff at all. Sometimes we learn to be impulsive from our parents or to be captured by worry or to hoard stuff, to be selfish or to flaunt stuff or to be really generous and wise. So maybe you, I don't know what you do. Everybody does it a little different. Maybe you give your kids a bit of an allowance. You get them to do some things around the home and you give them a bit of an allowance or they're earning money some other way. Begin teaching them from the earliest. You want to bless your kids? Begin teaching them from the earliest stages of life. When they start to get some income, first, first, some to give. Some to give. Then some to save. And then if they want to buy some gifts for people, like a Mother's Day card or something, some money for gifts. Then some for spending. You know, the temptation is to just spend way too little time with our kids. And then we compound the problem, trying to compensate for our guilt by just giving them too much money. And the greatest financial gift we can give our kids is not money. It's to teach them how to handle it well. To teach them who really owns this stuff to be a generous giver, to work hard, to manage it wisely, to teach them, you teach them these things, they will go so much further in life. You will be blessing them beyond measure. So we really need to ask ourselves as parents, what, or as grandparents, what are we modeling? Are we modeling to our kids credit card abuse? not paying them in full every month. 
chronic debt for things we don't need, neglect of tithing, or do we model wisdom, simplicity, humility, generosity? These are the greatest gifts you can give your kids when it comes to money. Number five, thou shalt have a plan. Thou shalt have a plan. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. This is this idea again of not equal giving, equal sacrifice. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Be prepared. You know, both Debbie and I, our parents weren't perfect, but they taught us some good stuff. And both Debbie and I were taught by our parents to have a plan. And I've talked to you about what I'm going to say here just years, a number of years ago, but I'm going to tell you again because it's so simple, it's so biblical, and it works. And everyone can do it. And it's called the 10-10-80 plan. It's very simple. The first 10% before you pay taxes, anything else, this is what Bible always teaches, the principle of first fruits. Everywhere in the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, goes to God's work. Now God may tell you to make that number higher, and you should listen to him if he does. But it's this incredible act of worship to be able to say, wow, this doesn't make sense in terms of the world, but I get to say to you, God, I love you and I trust you. I love you and I trust you. And God honors that. He honors a person that loves him and trusts him. And then at least 10%, the next 10% at least for savings, for some combination of long-term and short-term and emergency fund type stuff. So that when the fridge breaks, it's an inconvenience, not an emergency. Dave Ramsey, I think I borrowed that expression from him. And the fridge will break. And I remember when we were first married, when we were making nothing, like very little, it was really hard to do this stuff. But our parents had taught us. And so we did. We just chipped away at it. In fact, Dave Ramsey, I don't agree with everything that dude says, but he has this great app. It's free. It's called Every Dollar, and you can use it. I'll use that in premarital sometimes with people. Use this app to help you monitor and budget your money. And when you save that 10% for long-term, like when you retire or for big projects or for an emergency fund, when you need that new vehicle, and you're going to need a new one sometime, you've been saving for it and preparing. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Then the remaining 70 or 80%, and for most of us, that's more than we actually need. We live as God 
leads on the rest. It's a simple plan, but it works. And let me say this, it works much better than the plan that says, I'll pay my bills first, and then I'll see if there's enough for saving and giving. It doesn't work nearly as well as God's plan. No way. It doesn't make a ton of sense, humanly speaking, but in my experience and biblically, it holds, it, it holds water. It works way better to use God's plan. Number six, thou shalt declare enough. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15, the leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The chronic push of our culture fosters the idea of more, more, more. And it sucks the joy and the gratitude right out of us. This is why the Bible uses the image of a leech. Have you ever had a leech on you? I've had a couple. It's not fun. They're really nasty. And you want to get rid of it. And when we are consumed in life by the idea of more, when it's our small G God, and it is the small G God for many in our world, like a leech, it sucks all the life and blood out of us. And if we want to walk in the Jesus way, let's make today enough day. Today, with God's help, I'll declare enough. I'm no longer going to be consumed by getting more and more and more and keeping up with the Joneses. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't excel in the business world and do your best. It, it, do your best. Make all you can. Give all you can. Save all you can. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy something new or enjoy the things that God has blessed you with. Go ahead and do those things. Enjoy life. But cease fixating on getting more, more, more. And living in this fantasy world that more will somehow magically satisfy me. It won't. Even people far outside the family of God get that. Number seven, find an alternate way to keep score. <clears throat> Let's be honest. The main reality of our culture is the economic reality. It's the motivator for so many things in our world. It's the primary, in the view of many, it's the primary expression of value and money talks. And so if you make more than me, you, you may not think much of me. And if I make less than you, I might be tempted to envy you or compare myself to you. And again, this is not the Jesus way. James chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Verse 5, Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? an alternate way to keep score. Number eight, thou shalt look around. Proverbs 19 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. And so 
when we take these over the horizon offerings, we always have, sometimes we give them totally away, but there's also a built-in element to help and bless and care for people. So we've just done a number of things over the years to help hurting people. We're going to help Sophie. When the government over in North Africa lets her out, we're going to bring her over. And she needs to be brought over. We give out free parking lot passes to students. We do that food for learning that you heard Corrine talked about. We do pancake breakfast for students. We do the blessing bags that we did last week. We give to safe families here in the city, to the soup kitchen, to Streeps Alive, to the Pregnancy Care Center, to projects in Mexico, Paraguay, Costa Rica, North Africa. One of our credos here at this church is we want to be known as a place that gives rather than takes. And so wherever possible, we try to have that posture. And so personally, I think we can pray and say, God, open my eyes, open my heart to the world around me so I can see people with your heart, God, and with your eyes, and then respond. Number nine, thou shalt seek wise counsel. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Wise counsel in our life. Without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. And so I'm just more prone to do unwise things if I try to do it all alone, all the time. The elders or the leaders in our church are a prime example in my life of that. And so there's these godly, wise, gifted individuals. And why wouldn't I lean heavily on them? So sometimes I throw an idea out and they just go, good idea, Scott, but no. And so often I've looked back later, I went, it is so good that they said no. That would have been a real messed up situation if we'd gone ahead. Or they'll say yes, or they'll say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And they help craft a final decision that is just much better than originally proposed. Have you got some wise, godly people that you can share with and get advice from? Number 10, thou shalt look forward to thy final audit. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Over the years, I've experienced a couple of mini audits, personally, from Revenue Canada. <coughs> now, I hadn't done anything wrong, hadn't done anything wrong, didn't owe anything, nothing like that. But it made me nervous, even though there was no problem, and it was very little fun. But our audit before God can be so much different. So here's an important piece of financial wisdom you'll rarely hear. We're all going to die. Cheerful thought, right? We're all going to die. And I've sat with people on their deathbeds or with people who were close to dying or thought they would die. And I've never once heard someone say, I am so glad 
about the size of my financial portfolio. Pending death brings a clarity to what's really important. And it's about loving God, knowing for sure that I've asked Jesus to forgive my sins, to be the Lord of my life, the leader of my life, about a holy, spirit-filled life, about loving my family, loving people, healing wounds, being generous. Don't wait until your deathbed to figure that stuff out. Because we will all give an account to God. It says in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, 10 financial commitments for wise living. That is right on the money. And I just remembered, we're not doing a song after. (laughs) Can I pray with you for a minute? You're such a generous God. If all you ever did for us was Christ died for us on the cross, that would be more than enough. But you did that which makes a difference every day in our life and for all eternity. But also, you care about every part of our life, Lord. You want us to enjoy life, to thrive in life, to experience the incredible joy, the fun, it's a lot of fun, of being a generous person, a wise person. So thank you for this practical stuff from Scripture. And I get, this is tough stuff for people. It really is. And so will you, would you help us with this? Would you help us to understand that it, it's kind of one step at a time? But it's a commitment to say, I'm going to try it your way, God. I'm all in. And I'm going to walk that path as you've invited me to walk. And so I pray these things for us as we go. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As we go, you just be reminded that one of our leaders will be up here at the front to my right, your left, and they'd be honored to pray with you as we go.